All right, everybody, welcome back to a Minor Detail podcast. My name is Ryan Miner. I am the host. I'm here at Harry Brown's, our flagship operation, our headquarters, I think, here in Annapolis. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of having State Senator Mary Beth Carroza with me, who represents District 38 from the Lower Shore. Carroza, is that Italian? That's Italian. So, where uh, have you traced your lineage back? Oh. Building and construction. Well, my mom's side of the family are from Naples, Italy. So, have you ever been? Beautiful. I keep begging my wife to, to I said, we got to go on this trip. And she's like, well, we got to get away first. So, but the airfare is pretty good, I think. So, I want to I go through today uh, a little bit about your background. I want to talk about your district, some of the issues that are germane and important to your constituents. But first, let's start with your professional background, Senator. Before you got into politics, that is elected office, you, you have a long career. You worked for uh, Senator Susan Collins. You worked for Senator William Cohen, uh, former Secretary of Defense. And, of course, Senator Collins is, I think, one of the, I would consider one of the last vestiges of being a quote-unquote moderate up in New England. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah. Not much different from today. Your your day job here. You were born in Berlin, Maryland. Or Oh man. So I grew up in Hagerstown. You grew up on the shore. It's a rural area, and I try to explain to people who haven't grown up in rural Maryland. People often think of Maryland as PG County, Montgomery County, Baltimore City, very urban. But it's not. We have so we have a large, vast constituencies here in the state of Maryland. I love growing up in rural Maryland. And what was it like on the shore when you were growing up? As far as 
demographics and how, how has things changed now since then? No kidding. Of course, and thinking to, I'm trying to think. You were you were born in the '60s, like my parents, and was your first presidential election? Was it Ronald Reagan? Yeah. That's right. And I remember when I graduated college, I thought about going to law school and I said, everybody I know who has a political science degree, they're all going to law school. And I said, I want to go to work on Capitol Hill. This was in the middle of the 2008 election. So I, my first job out of college was I, was I worked for Congressman Bill Schuster. And Mr. Transportation, and of course, his dad was the king of transportation as the former, uh, the uh, the former chairman of the House Transportation Committee. So 
I remember getting my first job going to the Capitol Hill Club, and I they said, okay, well, we're going to make you, um, you're going to be a staff aide, and we're going to pay you this magnanimous salary of $26,000 a year. And I'm like, oh, okay, all right. And so finally my parents, after you know several months, they're like, I don't know how we can bankroll you any longer on these congressional salaries. but um, So I, I think working on the Hill was one of the most interesting and impactful experiences I ever had. I worked directly with constituents. You pick up the phone, you hear their concerns, you take their concerns, and I'm sure that influenced you now that you are an elected official yourself. So... People aren't shy. Absolutely. Um, thinking back to the number of members of Congress that you've worked for, your the bosses that you've had, what? Who was the most memorable? Who did you most enjoy working for as a staffer? Yeah. Yeah, 
why do I leave something on the table for the other side? Because we want to work with we want to work with in the future on something that will need and we will need their support and help. So no, even though we have the votes and we could roll them, we're not gonna do that. We're gonna we're gonna make some accommodations that are positioned. But I think that's what I really learned um, from Chairman Hobson. Bipartisanship is a word that we use but maybe not always understand because both sides of the political aisle, Democrats and Republicans, have their own version of what bipartisanship means. However, looking today at our politics, more so on a macro scale, on a national level, it is so divisive. And I feel like people who turn on to the the daily news or read it on their iPhones or Samsung phones, that they see so much partisan rancor and division, but the the middle ground or at least the room people are identified as in, in politics by their, their ideology do you you are a Republican, obviously, but I'm hearing you use words like bipartisanship and and even I, I hear and then that to me elicits the the feeling that you you want to work with both sides and you're not just a hardcore Republican that is supportive of the, the Republican platform, but rather you're interested in actually governing legislating. So let's think back. You served a term in the Maryland House of Delegates. In fact, I remember when you first ran down at Tall's, uh, you had a, a, little, a, a tent, and uh, it, it was Tall's is the place to go for politics in the summer. That's the summer retreat for <laughs> Maryland politicos. It's, it's the best. And you served a term in the Maryland House of Delegates. How did you arrive at the decision to run for public office yourself? What was the impetus? Was there a special moment where you said, that's it? I'm going to run. So, I'm very humbled to be the first 
That's right. That's right. How many shoes did you go through? Yeah, I remember out you you out. I remember out you out there trugging along on the, and I I could think of no better place than Ocean City, Maryland, to knock doors, especially in the summertime. I'm sure you campaigned in on the boardwalk. Uh, oh man. Yeah. Yeah, so when they approached you, did you, what was your initial reaction when your constituents said, all right, Delegate Carrozza, we want you to consider running for the, the upper chamber, and you would have more representation, of course, was it four counties? Three counties, okay. How did you respond to that? How many years? Jim Matthias was, what, a staple in Maryland politics. He was, and someone I think who tried to work across the aisle, but may, from my understanding, based on my discussions with your constituents, is that perhaps he had lost the... I guess lost the sentiments or of of your of the constituents where you were living, and maybe it was time that uh, you know term limits are are now becoming a popular thing, and I think people saw him as being there for a long time, and they wanted to change. So I just think over time, um, that was the 
associated with the math was in the discussion. And I think that was the case. But you know, at the same time, I was out there and we had our volunteers, and I was just trying to, you know, understand the priorities. And not overpromise, but you know, I obviously want to demonstrate that I was a strong working partner with Governor Hogan, and that's really important. And that you know that you take some of these issues, and even though they're really hard issues, you fight for those issues. Did the governor encourage you to run? So um, Governor Hogan came to my announcement uh, when I announced at Ocean City Elementary School, the school I attended uh-huh. um, in fifth grade when we first moved from Baltimore to Ocean City. I wanted to select a place that um, really you know tied my campaign, my announcement to to my home area. And so we had the announcement, close to 300 people were there. And Governor Hogan um, came to that announcement and endorsed me on the spot. From that announcement, um, we went to and then the next day we went down to Christie to small business here and there and made an announcement. I wanted to show that I was not going to just be um, a senator from Ocean City, but I would represent the entire uh, the entire district. And so you knocked on a lot of doors for that dist- for that that race as well, and I'm thinking back to your campaign and one memorable photograph, not of you, but it was your opponent at the time who stood on the boardwalk next to Senate or next to Ben Jealous, and a lot of people looked and said, "Well, h- how is that going to play?" and and I don't think it played very well for him. Because it's my understanding, and based on the data, based on the uh, the numbers that came in, um, Ben Jealous was not popular down on the Lower Shore, and that could have very much hurt S- Senator Mathias at the time, former Senator Mathias. So, Larry Hogan has done so much for the District Court and he made clear that whether it was the shore or other rural parts of the which I think is his official residence aside from the governor's mansion at this point <laughs> Your district voted for Governor Hogan, and you have demonstrated yourself to be a simpatico partner with the governor himself. And it, you ultimately defeated Senator Mathias, what, 53 to, was it 47? Was there, and moving into that race, I imagine that, look, Senator Mathias had the support of the Senate leadership, um, and he was well-known well-established, had money, 
and here you come in and you say, I'm going to, I'm going to take on this feat. It's and and going into this, my understanding is, you knew it was going to be tough. Was there a time in the campaign where you thought I have this, but I, I need to keep working, but I, I think it's, I think we're going to win. And talk to to us about the committee assignment. Is that the one you wanted? I know because I sit in the hearings and I'm and I'm thinking they're, they're talking about this issue one day and then a completely separate issue the next day. Of course, it's chaired by Senator Paul Pensky, and I have seen you in action and you you come prepared. You've you've asked some really important questions when you're sitting in the hearings, and I think you extrapolate information out of anybody who comes down to testify to get to the the heart of the issue. Right. 
what I'm requesting is that my constituents not only be involved in the process when these policies and legislations are introduced, but that they are involved in the I definitely believe I've been able to use my position to insert the views of my constituents and to try to make some changes on some bills that probably would be far more detrimental. Have you been successful? What I've got, what I define success as the number of bills that I've passed, but when legislation comes out, I can shape it so that it's fair. Or provide some relief from the country. And along those lines, we'll be able to make um, some efforts, particularly in the state of introduce also cultural air emissions bills. Because if we have the shared goal of protecting the environment, but there has to be a way to do it that you involve the people in the front lines. I mean, you know, no one knows. And our watermen, too, as well as it. It, it cannot be lost that you are what one of two Republican women in the state Senate. That's that's a big deal, and this is a state that is progressive, but. I, my wife always tells me, she said, she, she always goes back, she's like, well, maybe I should run for office. And I'm like, please do. Please just run for office. I said, I will be 100% behind you because I'm, I'm a huge proponent of more women being in elected office. But as, as a, you're one of, well, 14 members of the state Senate? 15. Okay. Are you the plus one? As a woman in elected office, have you faced issues as far as, Sexism, misogyny, what? And I think part of it is, um, you know, I have been involved in public service since right out of college. And I have been um, very fortunate that when opportunities presented themselves, um, I was able to take advantage of those opportunities. So, you know, having been chief of staff, you know, at the age of 30, which was wow. young then in Capitol Hill. I mean, now we have younger chief of staff, but then it was young, as, particularly as a female chief of staff. And, you know, I just, I guess I never looked at it that way. My approach has always been to stop working to be as prepared as I can. I, I believe that's what I owe my constituents, to not only understand their issues, but then to be prepared to um, fight for my constituents. And whether it's in my staff room or, you know, in my elected position, I've just taken that same work ethic to whatever position I've been in. But I, I can say, in, in answer to your question as well, I believe there is a Republican women in the Senate. Obviously, there is more attention paid than maybe the typical Republican senator coming in. And as a result, I've taken that very seriously because I do want to be a good role model for younger women who might be considering pursuing public service. And so, you know, I take it seriously, um, but at the same time, I just keep focused on the job. It also cannot be lost that 
of the two Republican women in the state senate, they're both from the shore, so, you know, the lower shore, and then the mid shore with Senator Addie Eckert. So I, I think that that is uh, that's interesting. You see her as a role model. Yeah. Um, looking at this is your fifth session now as an elected official in the state of Maryland. How would you characterize this session as far as what are the big ticket items that you have seen and what other what other elements of this session will do you think after we finish the very last day will come to define it? Are you going to vote against that? Yes, I am. And, 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 it's, and the minimum wage right now, what I'm trying to do increase. The minimum wage is trying to see if we can get some geographic considerations for that. Mm-hmm. I'm working, Governor Hogan, I know, has proposed a compromise. I'm working on um, a geographic You mentioned physician-assisted suicide. It's a big issue on on the plate of legislators this year. What is your what is your response to the other side? They, they've used the argument that look, this somebody should be enabled to do this. It's their choice. It's they want to make this decision. And what is your reasoning for voting against the bill? I am very concerned that there are not safeguards in for 
individuals with disabilities. I'm very concerned that families are not notified if an individual decides to take this approach. And I think what really weighs heavy with me on this is so many of our seniors are vulnerable and already have a mindset that they, they're not even, they sometimes think they're burden to their families, to, to their spouse, to others. Um, they may already be depressed. And I believe when we keep this option, a physician assisted suicide. Now, we're going to be opening up. Oh, I couldn't really tell by looking at her. Where those most vulnerable elderly don't think that this is what they should do. They might not have even thought about this before. But if you think about it, and, and I, you know, I think about the time that I spent with seniors in my district, there is a certain population that they're. They're vulnerable, they believe they're a burden on their families and others, and they, I don't believe they're thinking about suicide at this point, but then you give them this option that it's okay, and I believe it's going to open up more of that, more of those general suicides, and I'm just having it more opposed to On the phone ban that they ended up talking um, last week, I believe it was last week or two weeks ago, that was brought to the floor. I sat in on that discussion. Um, where did you come down on that vote? I opposed it because I see so many businesses, some of them are already doing it voluntarily. Mm-hmm. So my point was when they called a restaurant in my mother's canteen in Ocean City, Maryland, come up and testify. I gave them credit for doing it, but I pointed out to my colleagues that he was doing it voluntarily. And the way he was doing it is he was giving people the option, he was adding eight cents to every carryout order in order to provide a non styrofoam um, polystyrene product. That may work for another skin but I can tell you with small businesses that doesn't work. So, for instance, I also heard from um, a snow cone business, mm. a small business in Crisfield, and they were telling me what the impact would be for their small business if they could no longer use the polystyrene cups that they've been using for 23 years. So, you're saying it, it could place an undue burden on small businesses based on the containers that they use and what I'm hearing is is a more of a free market approach that let them decide to do this um, but it's a, one of those big ticket items that I think Democrats are saying and it was sponsored by my state senator Cheryl Kagan that they they think that this is a harmful impact to the environment um, and I heard the the retailers or the restaurant association come up opposed to this as well and another big issue especially where you are Schools after Labor Day, okay? Are you with the governor on that? Absolutely. And, you know, part of it is, again, we can give the superintendents the flexibility they need with the rest of the county. What we're saying is we should have some consistency that school starts after Labor Day. And there's anything else that we can whether they want to adjust other long weekends, whether they want to adjust back end, we we left that completely flexible. But this issue, to me, it's a family issue. If you um, 
In Ocean City, when I was at my church, I noticed that the last two weeks of August, I had families from Pennsylvania, from Delaware, New York, New Jersey. And I didn't have families from Maryland because so many of those school districts were starting school before Labor Day. And they didn't have that last hurrah, that last family time. I don't expect all those families to come to Ocean City, but something about having that last family time before Labor Day. Plus, if you go into the schools, those schools that were open before Labor Day, um, the attendance is very low to begin with. And also, there's not a whole lot of substantive work getting done anyway. So the point is, let's have some consistency. Let's summer be summer. Have some consistency with families, with businesses, and then give the flexibility with the rest of the community. And one final issue, the the comptroller um, has... Uh, is once again, he's doing his reform on tap um, as far as reforming the craft breweries. Um, And he is also, (laughs) it's seemingly under fire by some some members of the, especially your colleague, Senator Ben Kramer, for the the regulatory issues with alcohol and tobacco. Have you thought about how you would vote on whether to remove that power and turn it over to what Senator Kramer hopes to do, or should it be left with the Comptroller's office? So, um, I was very concerned that this became a political issue. It, it has been, yeah. Political. To me, it's a question about fairness. And how do we level it out a little bit more for the craft areas? And, you know, particularly when it comes to the legislation that Senator Feldman introduced on the franchise legislation to basically allow... The, you know, if there is um, a contract that is not going well for either side, particularly if it's a small brewer and their product is not being highlighted by the wholesaler, and they, you know, are looking to see, you know, how they can wrap up their franchise and, you know, get out of that contract in a way that's for both sides. Again, I'm looking for fairness, so I've tried to not talk about the controller, but talk about the issues of, um, you know, the, what are the needs of the craft to make sure that they can move make sure it's fair to the wholesalers as well. And, you know, as far as moving um, some of those responsibilities from the controller to a whole new agency, the, the issue I raise is that's, that is significant major government reform that should be thought through. And I, I basically thought of the fact that the Department of Budget Management should have been part of that process. Cost us $50 million. That's that's the, the figure the Comptroller's Office has been consistently using by an independent agency. They came up with that figure. And the argument would go that it would be, look, additional bureaucracy and this massive price tag to to do that. So... Man, we talked a lot about a lot of issues today. I do want to just put one, one last Please. Um, I'm very proud to serve in the Bayless Caucus. Um, it's something that um, my former boss that I mentioned, Chairman Hobson, gave me the opportunity to work with our men and women um, in the armed forces. I also worked for Secretary Rumsfeld. I was at the Pentagon in September 11th. So I have the respect for the men and women in the military, our veterans, 
And so um, Governor Early gave me the opportunity to be the liaison with the Maryland Department of Veterans Affairs, working with Secretary Owens. Now Secretary Owens is back as the Secretary under Governor Hogan's administration. I'm a member of the Veterans Caucus, and I have made veterans um, a priority. It's, it was both my first and last bill as a member of the House of Delegates, and this year as a state senator, I've sponsored legislation that would um, we would have a welcome home for veterans event with the first lady and with all of our career more veterans from all around the state. So that's a priority again that we can now, as uh, the grandson to a World War II veteran who's still with us, thank God every day for, for my grandfather at the young age of 93, um, who's still in Hagerstown and just is doing great every day. I, I, I want to just give him a hug and say thank you for what you did for our country during that time. And thank you for, for pu- your public service. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how this session is wrapped up, uh, Senator Carroza. So I'm excited. Well, thank you for coming on for the first time, and I hope you come back. And uh, maybe after session, um, I will come to Ocean City because I'm always looking at an excuse to come to Ocean City. I-, I will be at Talls this year. Yeah, Talls is usually the hottest day of the year. And, in fact, I interviewed Bruce Barriano this session, and I said, are you ready for the, you ready for the big event? And he goes, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, we're just getting started, and uh, people are contacted in his office for the tent, but that's always a great event. So, um, Senator, thank you for doing this today, and it was a pleasure to talk to you. All righty. You bet.